Good morning and welcome. Hope everything's going well with you today where you are. This is Tevo of Tevo Creative Leadership and the DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship at onlinefellowship.us. My name is Tevo D'Arcy. And I want to say that I really feel so important that we really make sure we're all ready that our hearts are right, that we forgive everybody, we love one another to get ready just in case the Lord would come quicker than ink. He's planning to surprise us, so we want to be FDR, final day ready. And that's our motto, final day ready. If you don't know if you're really saved or not, you know, if you're going to make it for eternity, hey, you get perks along the way. It isn't all just about that. It isn't just fire escape insurance. This is about hanging out with God in a relationship 24-7 if you want to. Getting the power of the Holy Spirit to help you navigate, discern correctly, and also figure out what to do when you're under pressure with all the pylon, and then your relationships start to get under attack. Or maybe you feel like you're underwater with all the pressure, oppression, depression, media. Oh my, TV and media, enough. No wonder the Young people who don't know the Lord or just don't have any clue because they're not taught well or they never were taken to Sunday school, and now they've seen media and dystopian movies. How many years of dystopian movies? America's not going to make it. We're going to end up like, you know, all I remember is the Planet of the Apes. I think it's, you know, surely it was other than that, the Titanic. All these things started to happen. But that was years ago, and now it's gotten fine-tuned with a lot more plus parent divorce and the spirit of depression and suicide, and we want to make sure we have something we can have our children look forward to, that they that they can make it, and grown-ups as well. It's grown-up of all ages, but I think for the kids and then the shootings at the school. So here we are, and we're going to talk about what I'm supposed to talk about. I'm being sent out by the Lord as an evangelist to go witness. And we need more prayer, more supporters, but I want to tell you who we're going to be sent to. This mission is called 2020 Clear Vision America. And it's about me and whoever else wants to go that the Lord is sending me. We are going to go out to witness the must-be-born-again Christians. Hey, we're going to start with God's houses. We're going to start with ourselves. How can we make any influence on anybody else, our neighbors, if we can't even govern ourselves and our self-talk? So traditionally, the this, both Old and New Testament says the wisdom, Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people, says the Lord, who call themselves by my name, shall humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and heal their land. You know what? We don't want born-again religion. That's like what the media or history and our you know tradition says. We don't want born-again media. That's just a bunch of Bible-thumping, name-calling, homophobic screaming at people. We want Holy Spirit. We want to get the name born-again back without all the bias it's starting to create. It has created since the 80s. I was there before growing up in the Lord as a Christian, and I don't remember all this accusation in ministry and politics and family divorce and ministry divorce and all these things, accusation against 
all these things going on like we hear almost every day. And then you have the pull of the things that are out there. The We have the world, the flesh, and the devil, but if you're a Christian, invite him into your heart. You could have the mind of Christ and seek his power to not get depressed, oppressed, to not judge and criticize people, to not attack people. And when you get attacked, you'll have the power to resist and forgive them and go and press into God and let him make your day and give you a glimpse of eternity and what really matters, give you your joy back. So we want to have the good part of tradition passed down great teaching. And I'm crossbody unity. I'm a crossbody Christ minister. So we can hang with those that like to jump and shout. And we can hang with those that like to sit and just relax, you know, or just hear God. I have a more traditional denominational feel and I can handle it because you know what Jesus has his remnant his people in every kind of group some of the ones that jump and shout may not make it to heaven some of the ones that said I know all the faith and all the Bible in the world and man they walk the talk they talk the talk but don't walk the walk I have to watch myself I'm putting myself out there to let the Lord move on me and so if you say, well, you know what, we're too good, you know, Catholics won't make it, they're not like us. Hey, I know Catholics for a lot of years. I know that they've, some of them move in the spirit. A lot of them have a personal relationship. So you can't judge, you can assess, but you can't judge, accuse, or judge, because you, you better watch you, I'll watch me. That's it right now. So the Bible teaches us that everyone has a call to know the Lord. And if you've ever made that thought or that choice, we're talking to you. Anybody else from another faith? Hey, you can jump. You, you're welcome to listen. But we want people who said they know the Lord to really, really be born again. Really know the Lord in a relationship, a love walk that helps you self-guard, self-guide, self-govern and then fellowship with all the different kinds of relationship that come down your path and resemble Christ, Jesus Christ, when he walked the earth in ministry and in his personal life and with his mother Mary and with the disciples during the pressures and with the children. Just read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John when he was alive, the Gospels, and you'll see how Jesus acted and re reacted because he had Holy Spirit power to be calm under the worst situations. He had humility because he knew the Father. He was humble, so he'd play with the children, even if they he risked getting their little fingerprints and their little greasy little grimy fingers on his holy cassock. So the idea is there is a genuine fruit of a Christian, of a true Christian. It's fruit of humility. It's fruit of relationship. And our ministry teaches on relationshiptheology.org. My version is abiding in James 3.17 relationships. So that's what we're after in this mission, America. We want to say, we're gone are the con artists. Gone, gone are the Bible beat down artists that say you got to be born again, but then cheat on the side on their wife. We want to be who's who to the Lord, the audience of one, not who's who to be famous and have fan club followers. We want to get into the quit the old poor me of the Eli Templeite priesthood who says, oh, I'm a victim. They left the church, but actually they, Eli, 
they were actually using the money for the wrong things that Eli Samuel high priest did for Samuel. Uh, they were like dull of discernment. He tolerated things. Samuel did. His two sons abused the women and slept with them. They abused the offering. It made offering, taking up collections, a stench in the eyes of the Hebrew people in the whole area nation because of the high priest and his behaviors. His relationships with money was not too good. He and his son's relationships with money and females relationships were not quality, not positive, helpful, or hopeful. So we have a lot to talk about, a lot to think about, and a lot to pray. You know, misery loves company, but so do um, people who fellowship in abiding, James 3.17. When Eli, temple I priesthood, was there, he refused. He refused to take ownership that he had anything to do with anything, and finally he was so blind and so dull and imperceptive that if you read about the first five chapters, one day God sent an anonymous, an anonymous prophet to warn Eli, the head guy, the head office. He said, "You know what God says? Ichabod, the glory of God is removed from this nation because of you all and your sons, and both of you will not make it. You'll perish." because of your sins that means the sons and no more will you ever have a lineage a priest in this nation from your bloodline so god used here here was eli let's talk about it this way there was eli well known a well known respected or a maybe quasi respected leader in the community in the people group of the nation of israel a high priest and yet the aroma of the sons and then he tolerated he was weak he refused to be stand up to them maybe they controlled him he refused he wanted to be popular and he was a weak person either very weak controlled by his sons didn't want to you know get the family riled up because he disciplined them or and or he was plain old asleep at the wheel blind dull and imperceptive spiritually. That's why God used all this. He sent the prophet. And then the first national prophet of the nation of Israel comes along, and that's, in chapter 1, is so huge. There is the story of the lone female. The lone female leader, you know she had to have some leadership qualities to produce a son with such an anointing, she and her husband. But at the time she was married, and being persecuted unmercifully by a relationship in the household. It wasn't her husband. He loved her a lot. It was the other wife, Penina. So to get away from relief, she needed to press into God, and so she had to clear out of her house. And with her husband's permission, she went down to the temple. And that's when the grieving woman was praying on the steps, and the Eli, the caustic cynic, who'd seen it all, seen too much, labeled women, judged the accused women from afar, didn't get up and go see her, no compassion. That's why I made my series many years ago, the 2013, The Compassion-Fatigued Eli Temple High Priesthood. And I talk about it. He was whelp. He wasn't Western European. He was Levitical patriarchism. That means back under the law. They didn't know the Lord. They didn't have the Christ, you know, in their hearts. But he was, well, he did know the law, the Torah, and he knew that he should not 
let his sons do the things they did. It was turmoil, just turmoil in the grassroots. This is a grassroots story where people, the rubber meets the road. The lady who's suffering and being persecuted could have been a man, but it was a lady God wanted to use at point. She comes to the house of God expecting mature, emotionally healthy, safe environment where she can pray and pour out her heart, sob with no shame. Instead, when she's there at her weak, worst feeling, you know, the most hurt, repeatedly wounded, she goes there for relief, and instead she gets accused by the high priest who's dull of, per- dull of, per- dull of perception and, and jaded and jaundiced against women. How do I think he's jaded and jaundiced against women? Why? Because he tolerated his son sleeping with the women, using women when they came to the temple. He had a history, and that's Levitical patriarchism. When I was first aware of this in the body of Christ in ministry, I had grown up first without that in my family. My father was not like that. He was a gentleman. He wasn't under the law. He was a pastor, but he wasn't a Levitical patriarch. And I didn't think about anything. I thought all pastors are respectful to everybody equally. I know he loved my mother. He respected black people, all colors, all faiths, all people. So I went out in the world thinking, oh, that's Christian ministry. So I get married, and I'm in Christian ministry, and it turns out it's cross-body ministry. So you mingle with other doctrines. God had said when I was 24, I want you to study and get to know my body and study the Bible believers so you'll know what they believe, what they dislike, their pet peeves. And then one day you'll build bridges. You can build bridges for my kingdom when it's time. Well, that was many years ago, over 40 years ago, 35 years ago. And so God showed me those, all the different, he, as the years went past, he'd say, this move of God started, that move of God, this kind of worship started, this kind of worship developed. I started getting in racial repentance ministries in my former state where we all got together, urban and suburban. I met people. I'd go to the Pentecostals and, and, and understand that nations more are a different kind of worship. I'd go to faith people. The faith movement was starting. I went to the, I'd grown up Baptist and had Presbyterian denominationals. Uh, when, when the Lord gave me the vision or the the call to study his body, I was in, after I got married and no children yet, after college, I was in a Presbyterian church with, and it was like part charismatic and part not. So my brand is we're not locked into, etched into religion. We're etched into a relationship with the Holy Spirit that he can guide you like Ezekiel's wheel in Ezekiel 1, like the heavenly gyroscope. If he says, go here one year, do this for 10, 10 or 25 years, be committed there, he'll let you know when it's time to leave. If you ever leave anywhere, it's not because you're complaining or grumbling or fault finding. You do it only after you've sought the Lord and a humble heart and then you leave if the Lord tells you. So we have a lot to think about, but when I see the body of Christ, when I see Christian ministry, I I just really have to apologize. I'm not going to say I honor one brand of Christian, one type of denomination or non-denomination, or one Christian minister over the other. That is not the Bible in the New Testament. In fact, that's the opposite of Paul. Apostle Paul, and you have to teach this now, it's, it's needed because of TV famous preachers, 
and it in the famous preacher i'm not talking about them it's down on the group what what they've twisted when they see the people with the perks and the lights on them and they look good because they have to be on tv that is the misperception i want to address at the grassroots it affects relationships because it makes rivalry envy envy insecurity big eyes little use so we look at Paul and Paul in the book of a fee, book of Corinthians. First Corinthians, the church of Corinth was on the seaport and it was a very carnal place. A lot of people in the flesh, a lot of different opinions, different races, different cultures, but they were all in the flesh. So Paul had to go minister to them in his letter. And he wrote especially to the kind that caused division. And if you look at First Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, you're going to find two places where Paul openly rebukes the Corinthian elders for taking favorite preachers and putting them on a pedestal. He said, do not, do not say, I am for Paul. And the other one says, I am for Apollos. And the other one says, I'm for Jesus. No, that's division. Say, I'm for Christ. He also distances himself in chapter one, he sort of says, well, I don't know if I baptize. It was like he's, it sounded like he's embarrassed by that. I'm embarrassed by it. I think God is embarrassed by that because we're not in it to play favorites. That's against James 3.17. That's called partisanship. That's called party spirit. That's called rivalry, perhaps. Enmity. That causes personality, well, relationship issues that are not whole for the body of Christ. We're supposed to be a team with Jesus as the coach. No big I. Years ago in another state, over 20 years ago, I happened to be in a meeting and I was studying the Holy Spirit. And this person that was the speaker, the head pastor, the apostle of the area had a book. And I had heard of the author who is famous, had lived in California, had a college and was well thought of and I didn't think anything about him, and and later, when this man died, he died at an old age later, in Texas, he was a good, there's nothing, you know, he was an impeccable character. People can have a book that can be taken and taken wrong, or the book can have parts that are wrong in it. But anyway, here's the book. The book was about... Now, these people were calling themselves apostles and prophets and they, and I, in the Christian community. So I was interested in the Holy Spirit. And so I said to my husband, I said, do you mind if I go? He said, no, I don't mind, which is the way we act, reacted with that. That's how I always do it. So I went and I enjoyed the, the music. The worship was just what I needed. I had a lot of attack and warfare in my life. And that was exactly the, you know, starting me, jump-starting me, understanding why long worship and how worship can be your therapy in a manifested presence and peace, power of the Lord on a given day. But when I was there at one of the meetings, the pastor talked about the book, this book. And he said, that the man said, this author, I'm not going to name his name. You could ask me, but I will not name his name to respect his reputation, to honor this man. He said, this famous man wrote that God sets certain apostles in the gates of the city over everybody else. Apostles and prophets in the gates of the city, apostles. And that he was one. 
and I knew the group he ran with, the style of minister, and they were into them, into that, into themselves, <laughs> into who's over who. And I took that with a grain of salt because I was not under their ministry. I was visiting their ministry. I had my own ministry. I was the head of my ministry, but I was there because I'm a body teammate. I believe there's something good. You can go be blessed by participating if they are up and up. So when the Lord would lead, I would go over there and I was learning and growing. And yet I'd already been my own minister and had my own beliefs, but I was trying to see what God wanted to say. So I heard this teaching that there are some apostles in the gates of the city that are over everybody else. And I thought, why would God ever put a human, any human over everybody else? That would make him next to God. And humans are flawed. Humans have trouble. Humans have issues. And you can't put your eggs in one basket. I'd also had experience with God. When I first started teaching the Bible, this was the 90s that that book was written. When I first had started teaching, teaching the Bible and had public ministry, I was teaching a study when the Jim Baker, Jim Swaggart media scandals happened. I saw the fallout in my personal home. I saw it in my family. I saw it in my Christian friends, my buddy friend, my girlfriend who would say, praise the Lord this, praise the Lord that, and had given money to one of those ministries. Well, see, what happens is nobody had had celebrity ministry like that, especially if you came from Catholic or priests or, you know, and you were open because TV, Christian TV is new. And so our heart is open. So people want to support and they had different, you know, people felt led. I never felt led to either one. But certain people had put, we didn't know it till later, put them on a pedestal. And I did not because I'd come out of ministry and the others did not. And I'm not putting that down good or bad. I just somehow didn't feel it. My spirit man just didn't go there. So I was teaching the Bible and having my own family and all these things going on. And when this happened, I noticed accusations started about TV ministers, media people, and nobody ever stood up in the Christian community or anywhere tried to to talk about it and diffuse it and, and say that is not right. So it spread and people fell away. And I know people were angry about money and they still are. And it was abused. Later, these people, both of them repent. I still couldn't bring myself to watch either. <laughs> Afterwards, we forgave them. I even saw one of them speak in public because he was. I was at a conference, and they invited that person there, one of the men, and I had I forgave him. But I was like, it really bothers me still if I see. You know, I just can't make myself go back like that. So everybody can look or not look. But the idea is I went to the Lord when I noticed the fallout of accusation toward ministry, Christian ministry, the must be born again ministry. And sure enough, one party had overspent, overindulged and gone Hollywood. Yes, one of the parties wore too much makeup, but I tried to think, you know what? I didn't grow up like that, stark, poor, poverty-stricken like that female, and they just went overboard. So did following different ones. But I didn't condemn them because I just felt that would be wrong to accuse them. All right, the other part, where the other one, when I, when the other one fell, I'd gotten his magazine for a few years, and I was staying at home with mother, doing my children, doing ministry, 
when all of a sudden I noticed that magazine started to get very critical, very accusative to aerobics, to all sorts of things that were like, they were evil now. So I just quit getting that person's magazine. And I thought, so that's a sign, I think, when people get that critical. So after the, after the fallout happened in my personal relationships and watching it on the news and it spread around the nation, then the globe, and it has ever since, I noticed, I said, Lord, what is this? Do you have a scripture? What, could, what is it? And he gave me, and I'd never read it before, honestly. I'd never even looked at Micah. So he gave me, in my spirit, Micah 7, 5. So I went to the Bible, still teaching the Bible study for women at that church, my first ministry step. And I looked it up and it said, do not put your trust in a neighbor. Do not put your trust in a guide. Do not put your trust in anyone who even lies beside you in the bed. Only put your trust in the Lord. And I thought, that is the secret, God. That is so amazing. We put or some of the people put their trust. They didn't know it. They weren't trying to. They weren't evil, but they just didn't understand it. We didn't, you know, nobody understands it all. But they'd put their hope on a human that fell. So when I heard this book about the apostles in the gates of the city, everybody's under one apostle or two apostles, whatever, I knew that was errant that is wrong that is wrong statement because god says in his bible do not put your confidence in any guide or anyone not even the one who lies beside in the bed also in psalm 118 verses 8 and 9 which is the whole chapter for our bible college teammate you which i'm working on needs more prayer for that multicultural non-levitical law not personality driven but holy spirit driven teammate you.com all right so the idea is that the other scripture which i heard through the years i really believe it's true it says that matthew excuse me psalm 118 8 and 9 are the key verses the whole center of all the bible old and new testament and here's what they say you need to know it it says psalm 118 verse 8 do not put your trust in a man only put your trust in the lord the second one verse nine do not put your trust in princes only in the lord what are princes leaders people with power people with a bit of show elegance pomp hierarchy whatever put your trust you can respect them you need to but then you're always watchful. Am I being a noble Berean? Am I making sure I'm just not swallowing everybody's Kool-Aid, male or female, black or white? Because we're having to stand alone before the Lord is the reason we do have Bibles. We can get our Bible out online and on land. And if you have a something uneasy in your heart, you need to research that to see if it's really true. That's why I feel I'm so passionate about the Western European Levitical patriarchs, patriarchism, matriarchism is because it's a deep South thing, but it's more like tracing back roots to the master and slave driver. And I believe it came up from poverty where they just didn't understand women, real women, or had a fear or maybe bad experiences. And it mixed, 
I believe also that came down from the Puritans when they came over with their back under the law views of females, accusing females such as the historical Puritans in Massachusetts and Nathaniel Hawthorne's book about the Scarlet Letter, Phariseeism. And then those were the ones I've mentioned many times lately to get this out here. We need to get this out because of the spooky spiritual in America. These people, and the were that when I researched the Salem witch trials, some of the people used spectral evidence. Spectral evidence mean they didn't have real evidence. Nobody saw anything, but they had vibes. They got a dream, or they had a witness in their spirit, or something like that. Spooky stuff. Their prophetic power, maybe. But what it is is a false. It's a overly subjected too easy to be wrong it involves no respect for the relationship of the other party it accuses them based on vibes and so i'm so against that so if you go and visit the church see this is what happened i had this happen uh in 2003 2000 let's see when 1996 was one levitical patriarchism with the berate without relate no relationship, just name-calling and jumping in public, and maybe patricianism, aristocracy in there, false doctrine. And then in 2003, again, in a prophetic meeting, where I was informed evil things about myself because this person, who shall remain nameless, said, Everybody knows you're out of control and in rebellion and that you are a J word, the Queen J and the W. Everybody knows it. All the pastors. Well, it turned out I knew a lot of pastors that I haven't had five board members and a husband that knew everything about me. And nobody thought that or corrected me on it. And I just knew I wasn't. So I studied what a Jezebel is and a witch and I'll teach on that another day. I've already taught it lately, so I won't teach it on this one. I studied the scripture. It's really terribly wrong the way they're viewing it. Plus, it's spectral evidence. Nobody, this man had never asked me how God led me. He asked me. He didn't. He just jumped me. So it makes me go back and think, what is wrong with relationship? That's why we need relationship theology. They leave out Levitical patriarchism, matriarchism, all the Boston around stuff got to be over everybody that doesn't count about people's relationships it's about their power their pride and so i looked and i thought if that man or this person accuses me in public in front of a church which is what happened when i'm sitting there in james abiding james three seventeen form peaceable pure easily entreated discerning all boundaries and so forth calm never butting out never doing anything except sitting there saying hello, then that person gets all stirred up. It's a religious spirit. It's the devil. But it's so bad. So I think, man, what if somebody's shy, younger, or just not as experienced would be like that? We better teach on it because it's happened more than it's happened more than three times over 20 years. So I looked and I thought when this person did this, he escorted me out and he got this. He was like, short, real short. I'm five foot ten, let's say, and then you have add shoes. 
So the person started accusing me, and he'd never spoken to me, never asked how I was doing, never found out I hadn't seen him for seven years. And he went back by the evil report. I don't know, because see, in that area, the bossy religious spirit wanted everyone to kowtow to this per one style of shepherding. And I knew that was back under the law, and I wasn't under them because I wasn't a member of their group or their ministry. And I wasn't married to them, so it wasn't their business. But this book about a per all that God set them, these people believed they, they were in the gates of the city. And that was the entitled teaching. And I had been in pastor's meetings and had heard this similar type of group behind the scenes afterwards. And that was the first time, maybe 1998, when I was horrified because as a Baptist, you don't think like that. I don't believe black people do it either. I'd been in their meetings a lot. And all of a sudden, I heard two of these gates in the city kind, shepherding kind, said to one another, and you can't help it, you're just right there standing beside them. And they said, I saw your sheep in my in my church the other day. And the other one said, really? He said, yeah, they're church hoppers. And it's like, oh, that was a God thing to me. I thought, I can't believe this. These people think they own God's people. Who gave you God's people to own them? This isn't slavery. You don't own them. You are. <sighs> and so then I thought, why is it a sin to church hop, to go to more than one fellowshipping of the saints because you're that starving and hungry? I had been called by this group, this only this white Western European Levitical patriarch type group with matriarchs. The only time I ever got accused by any minister, to my knowledge, and not one of these people ever confronted me. That's why I teach this now. They never submitted. They accused based on spectral evidence and hearsay, gossip, tail-bearing amongst themselves from afar. Because if they were really submitted to God's whole counsel, which I am, I always have been, and always be easily entreated, James 3.17, they would have made an appointment one-to-one -one in Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17 to confront me in a loving, tough love, but respectful fashion, not jump me in public. The other one was Galatians 6, 1. If anyone thought I was such a big a sinner in that area, in ministry that thought they knew me or that knew me, not one person ever came over in Matthew eighteen fifteen me or called me up for Galatians 6, 1, which says, if you see someone in sin perceived as in sin and ministry or lay you were to politely and meekly go over there and humbly confront them and minister to them about that convict them however it says be careful when you do it because you might be tempted by the same sin later to the leader and nobody not one of these jezebel spine kinds have i ever had humble themselves to pick apart doctrine be a noble marine and find out Instead, they go back as, I think they really believe, that's why I've studied prophecy. Really, God took me to study prophecy since 91. Because of what I saw over and over in the grassroots around the nation, you know, and they had caustic Christ following, relationship unhappy. And then you have to get, if you are a novice or you're young and you're impressionable or you just don't know this stuff exists, you get a spiritual wound or emotional wound and you have to go take time off the front lines to get healed because you have been spiritually accused, attacked, 
had your name gossip blackballed and that goes on especially it really i don't know if it goes on anywhere but whelp because i dealt with a lot of black people stayed in their homes preached hung around with them in the ministry as well all right and baptists they don't do that catholics don't do it i don't think episcopalians do it uh i don't think church and guide in christ missionary baptists do it i've been around them uh, I don't think Vietnamese do it. They might. I don't think so. And then Methodists don't do it. Denominationals really are pretty safe and healthy. They're pretty relationship healthy and respectful on a daily basis. That's why I'm reexamining my theology and also saying, who's got it for sending people to refer people to ministries? But if you're if you're into whelp or some kind of patricianism, aristocracy, it's not healthy for the newbie or the atypical stranger, usually a woman or a black person. <laughs> so we're trying to be healthy and point this out. Helping you understand to go be in the noble brie and see what I say is true or not. Go by, not me really, but by the Middle Eastern Messiah, the apostle of the movement, chief apostles, chief apostle, Christ, in all his relationships in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how he acted and reacted in every single one. Study it, examine it, and see if you're acting like that too in ministry and in your personal life and with your mama. All right. So we're looking today at Christ following Christianity. You must be born again, Bible-believing ministry and lay and elders and we think there is a lot of weird confusion a lot of people are tired they're jumping through hoops they're pleasing all these people and they're working hard for the lord but they really don't ever get time away just to be their honey bunny at home with their mama with their wife or spouse or their kids instead they just put the kids on another video or a little cell phone action or ipad or something to keep them parked so they can flake out when they finally get to so this is you know there is such a thing as religion and there is such a thing as religion means to visit the orphan and the widow in their sorrow and show empathy and compassion weep with those who weep mourn with those who mourn that's real religion in james chapter one however religious spirit not always meet the criteria of god because it one may not have the fear of the Lord be birthed out of the Holy Spirit. It may put the work over top of the family, the relationships, even with God himself. And then it leaves you tired and so jumping through hoops and so dull of discerning you not fine-tuning your ministry on a regular basis and maybe you get hardened bureaucracy. You may get things that are impersonal and loving and instead be the Elihe priesthood or project rejection to certain parts of the human race that don't look like your preferred style, which is what we saw over and over. That's why I'm teaching just like this, because the doctrine is wrong. It's not sound. The Bible teaches us in Isaiah, I think it's 35. You can Google it. Isaiah says, those who erred in spirit shall come to understanding. Those who murmured shall learn doctrine. Let me ask you, do you know of anyone murmuring? Do you know of anyone murmuring? Well, maybe the whole American nation is murmuring. But then you can't be responsible. This is not 
the ministry here is directed not to the non-believer, even though they're welcome. I'm not talking about the secular responsibility to not murmur. Uh-uh. I'm looking at the Christ follower. You must be born again. Christian has all the power of God in them to do that, to, to abstain from a lot of things and abstain from murmuring as well as gossip and talebearing. The Bible teaches us, as I said before, in the Old Testament, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and hear their la- heal their land. Is our land healed? Is this nation healed? Then what are you going to do about it? I've been working on me over here. You work on you all over there. I'm working on my part of the land. Now you get to work on yours, please. Black or white. Tan or any other color. All right. Then in the New Testament, and I have to say this, out in the deep south, I was, again, stymied by the licentious, greasy grace that people would quote scripture to get out of being confronted. And so therefore, there I proved, that's why I'm so scriptural, because I had to, they're so quick and so good at it, weaseling out, avoidant blame shifting. I even wrote Adventures in blameshifting.wordpress.com after several years out here, published 2000, you know, it's on, on the blog because it was so frustrating and funny at the same time. You know, it was, I need a break from it. So I wrote, the theme is basically adventures in blameshifting.wordpress.com. It says the just shall live by faith while the self-justifying live by blame shifting, avoidant, adept blame shifting, good I was tweeting. I started putting tweets up there out of frustration and joy because it makes me laugh. Back in the day, same time period. And I'd write things just that would come in my heart. It was like that type of thing. I thought um, just the tweets of the ideas of these people, the tough customer ministers, the quasi-Christian and some of the comments God would put in my heart are just hilarious because it was so frustrating at the same time. So a lot of this writing came from feeling I was opposed in relationships. Either it was thorny, you couldn't trust them, you didn't know what they really were like, or they were just unfriendly and into their, you know, cliquish. That was a huge thing. Born again cliquish thing in certain groups. Then I'd never had... And this wasn't black at all, people. Then I'd never had chauvinism in ministry. I had never had disrespect in ministry on a widespread basis. And I thought, man, I show up and I look like some stereotype, an accused stereotype, blonde, middle-aged, big. Man, I, and I thought, I can't believe it. They're shallow. You mean there's bias against somebody in a church, a born-again church the legalism back under the law it's like you're back in time it's like the old civil right i mean the old civil i don't know this it was like the slave culture not that they were actively slaving people but the unfriendliness and the like a woman is their possession i would walk into these groups certain groups with this doctrine, same doctrine, same kind of ministry, different parts of the area. And I'd feel like 
I come in as a professional who's been in ministry 20, 30 years to say hello, but instead there's this resistance and it's, oh, look, a woman, another woman. Oh, good, chattel, service. Oh, good, tithe. I found out also that these same groups, some of <laughs> unless you signed on as a dotted line, they wanted, as their member, to get the tithe, they wouldn't have anything to do with the new visitor, repeated visitor. So it's like a whole new country. And the Lord showed me scriptures. He gave me scriptures. Psalm 123 was, is still a huge scripture about pride. My soul is overwhelmed with the haughtiness and pride. I wrote on it. The other one is, and I looked at me, do I have it? And then the other one would be the Eli priesthood of 1 Samuel, the compassion-fatigued Eli priesthood, because there are that many people, that many numbers. Yeah, hail fellow well met. Let's get on to the next one. If they quit, God will send me 25 more. We're used to it. And I was concerned for their soul. I really got concerned for their soul. That's when God gave me, and I don't say what I'm going to say lightly when I say this. He gave me some, I think it's Psalm 137. It was about Babylon. It says, it was about ministry Babylon. And it says, how can I sing the Lord's song when I'm captive in a foreign land? And they say, oh, praise, you know, make some music on your instrument. Oh, yeah. But your heart is broken because you're in this strange, weird place. And I've never, you know, years ago and growing up and you hear, you know, certain people, preachers that would say, they're just in Babylon, you know, and I don't say that lightly. I don't talk like that. I don't say there's a harlot, there's Babylon. I don't talk like this. I don't. But when I got in the mixture of the culture, caustic Christ following, I couldn't help but think I've never, I've been carried away. I had music. I have calls to music and have a, had bought all this musician stuff. And I'm a professional musician, a composer, CCLR writer, longtime teacher, professor. I've never been able to focus long enough because that takes a quiet, restful, no spiritual attack, no battling with the, you know, this weird culture in the Christian caustic sense. So a new vocabulary came out. I quit being a charismatic. God took me out in 2012. I'm not going to have crazy-matic, caustic, crazy-matic. And so that's where Crossbody Unity came from. I used to have International Fellowship of Foundational Ministries nonprofit. I just put it down, and I'm just doing it like it is. We're DFW Leader Ministry Fellowship, because this is a relationship theology priority in the fear of the Lord. That was another thing. In the caustic Christ following, in the mixture that's in the culture, the worship culture, pop vulture culture in some places, the poor witness you find an absence, a minus of the fear of the Lord. And that was because I think they're jumping around. They don't have time to be, they don't know about it. So I would say as a prophet, one of God's prophets of an area, I'm sent to regions. I'd go to this place in this year and that place in another year. And the Lord, it was just like, I was shocked. I can't believe there's how much. It's gotten better out in McKinney. It's better in McKinney. But before then, it was like 80% to 90 where I was going around the area. 80 to 90% of minister, Christian ministers had no fear of the Lord. And I've written tweets at God's leading, and it says, if 
The Bible teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, real wisdom. Then the absence of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Fill in the blank, foolishness. If you don't know how to find the fear of the Lord, how to train on it, how to keep the fear of the Lord, then please look up at Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. And you can, it says, if you cry out and hunger for for more of God's wisdom and you seek as hard as you would for godly wisdom as you would for silver or gold making money, then you're going to find the fear of the Lord and he'll honor you later with everything else. So it's been a relationship bugaboo out here. And uh, as I said before, I've said before in my podcasts, I said, you know what? If what you go through doesn't kill you, at least gives you a lot of Bible teaching fodder on the other side. And it has. Apostle Paul said, I endured a lot for the sake of the abundance of the revelations. And that's me. At one point, I felt like such a weird creature, a female doing all this and uh, all this weird caustic Christ following and chauvinism and misogyny. That means hating women. And I was never raised like that around it, never experienced it in my former state or with my family or anywhere till right here under the name of Jesus Christ following Bible believing. I thought then there for the grace of God go I, but let's teach on it because if I'm God would sell and also God would tell me after several times I was getting like, oh my heavens, Lord, I feel horrible. He said, do not take it personally. I'm showing you what I see take it as a prophet. I'm showing you prophetically. So therefore I have. And when I had things ripped off when I was out living in Murphy and uh, weird things happen when you try to fellowship with other ministers in a professional ministry pastors group. And it's the same kind of group, rationalization, self-justifying. And then when you try to confront my discoveries, I think it must be my bone of contention because I'm so open. I'm so easily entreated and so respectful of everybody. So when they took the stuff, I loaned them and I said, I'd like it back. And they hid. I went to try to confront them and they hid. So in Matthew proper, Matthew 18, 15 form, I went 16 form. I had tried to confront them respectfully. And then I went to their oversight, which you could only get through email and they were busy so I get an email back and it was like accusing me of not being sweet like baby Jesus. Well, um, you need to just forget it. Forgive him. You just need to forgive him. I thought, but I'm the, I just lost my husband. That was my keyboard of $1,200. Easy. I didn't say easy for you to say, but I couldn't believe what I heard. It was past the buck or no relationship, love, no love no knowledge of relationship healthy scriptures about abiding in relationship quality. You go confront somebody. If not, you take somebody. That's a principle. And I was only trying to do it. When I got jumped the first time in Virginia to March for Jesus, and I had not been, you know, I was jumped, accused. And I had a girlfriend with me because it was the same kind of group, police dog group, set themselves up over everybody. And I had been abused badly in my home the day before. And I was just like, a, just almost walking zombie, but I love Jesus. I, I'll go march in the March for Jesus in 1996. So I was with my girlfriend who 
worked in the offices of one of these people. And I was out there standing and this one of the drill sergeant autocrats, big bosses, summons me over and I'd seen him in pastor's gatherings. I thought, oh, he's being friendly. How nice to include me. Well, it turns out he's going to regate, he was going to lambast me and berate me without any relationship in public. And then he called, I mean, just things were awful. And he said, the things they say in public, which are so horrible. And that one did get me. It took me a while because I knew it was the devil, not him, but it was just awful because I'm such a gentle, easily entreated person. Anyone, I'm so respectful. No one needs to cost me or anyone else like that. But I was younger and didn't understand. I mean, there's no value to anybody except themselves. So long story short, he, he, he tells me all these horrible things. You're in rebellion to your home. He'd never been in my home. You're, you know, it's always about some girl, some lady being in rebellion. It's always about somebody not under their control, and they're the big shots wanting to... That's what I thought. It's relationship disrespect. So after that happened, I was a zombie. I really was a zombie. And so I put my sunglasses on and, like a robot, walked through the March for Jesus. That day, And my girlfriend was with me, and one of the wives of the pastors saw me, and she knew my name. She says, well, what's wrong with Tavo? And she, you know, we just had to keep on going, but it took me years to get over that, a couple of years, but I knew it was the devil. I forgave him. That's the thing. But I had many things going on to try to block me to this day, to keep me from, you know, and to make me uh, quit. But I didn't. I mean, because of God's goodness. I knew the Lord. I knew the devil. I knew the devil. But it makes me want to really be passionate for the sake of the innocent, the newbie, the younger Christian, the immature, that nobody ever does this. Abuse. I was plain old outright abuse. That is nothing but abuse. And that is not accusation. That is really dominating arrogance. Another thing, P.S., and I got to quit. I went over. I made an appointment because I am up front. I'm open. I'm bold. I made an appointment to go see this guy that jumped me that time, the first time. And he was so arrogant and I was still going through abuse. So I only had but so much energy, but I did my best. I sat in his office and he looked like the head smirking, arrogant, clod, whatever it was, just so awful as a Christian. So I left and I was drained after that. So it hadn't been all hunky-dory, but God is there. He's bigger. He's better than all that. And it makes me want to be a Berean and stick up for injustice and deal and confront bad doctrine and pride, arrogance, and self-righteousness in the Christian ministry and in myself. God bless you. He loves you. You have a great day. This is Tevo D'Arcy. Thanks for turning in, tune, tuning in. Say a prayer for 2020 in America, 2020 Clear Vision America, and then fund fund us with support on Online Fellowship, dfwleader.org, if you feel it. God bless you. Have a great one. Bye-bye.